Hey everyone, welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey. We're back on a weekend with you here. And my name is Dan Rosell, in case you didn't know that already. And I am joined, as usual, by John Fisher. Hello, John. Hi, Dan. How's it going? It goes onward. Onward. And, and forward. Uh, I bet there was a little spring in your step uh, today, given the results of the Devils game yesterday. But of course, we'll get to that in our recap episode mm-hmm. early on next week. And let, let me just say, there have been few games I've watched in the last five years that were as satisfying as that one. <laughs> I will always take a blowout win over our rivals. Not necessarily our hated rivals, but the second-rate rivals. The and lesser rivals. The, the team that's constantly running up at best. <laughs> And for once, the Devils were on the other end of the matchup where one team puts up 40-plus shots and doesn't score, and the other one puts up less than 20 and wins by five. So thank goodness for that. But anyway, we'll get to that when we get to it early in the week. And when we met last weekend, uh, we kind of left with a little bit of a task based on the athletic article that was honoring the 2000 New Jersey Devils champion team. However, they also did an exercise with some of the members of that team and some current Devils and some other reporters to denote the best all-time Devils lineup. So our exercise towards this week was to do just that for each of us. And I think, you know, you and I have come up with some of our lists and a lot of the names that you'll see with that athletic article are pretty overlapping just because, you know, the Devils don't have a particularly... It's getting longer now compared to some of the other teams in the league, but they they haven't been around the longest um, compared to some other teams' history. So some of these names might be surprising from you know people who have watched the Devils their whole lives, saying like, really, he's ranked that high and on an all-time Devils team. But it, it does make sense given the history that we've had and how young the team is relative to a good portion of the league. So what we did, we assembled. 12 forwards. I threw in some scratches as well. So basically one or two guys, first two guys out, uh, six defensemen and one guy out there, and then a goalie and a backup goalie. And the way I'd like to do this is we will go position by position, but let's build from the net out because that one feels like the easiest to kind of discuss and work through. So John, I'm assuming, (laughs) and this is you know, this is a strong assumption, obviously, for anyone involved, but Martin Brodeur is your starting goaltender, correct? I indeed do have Martin Brodeur as my starting goaltender. If there was I... one completely brainless placement, that one that you can completely turn your brain off and just not even bother thinking about what you're doing for it, it's the goaltender position. That is, of course, Martin Brodeur. Who is your backup? Corey Schneider. Okay. So mine was Chris Terreri. Their stats are very, very similar in their time in New Jersey. But um, is there any reason you had for picking Schneider over Terreri? Simply because before the injury, Schneider was on pace of being an elite level goaltender in his day and age or the current day and age, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy compared favorably with the Tuka Rasks and and um, I hate to say his name, but the Henrik Lundqvist's of the league. You know, by save percentage, by goals above save, uh, goals saved above average. I understand there are some edgy Devils fans who lament the fact that Schneider was so good um, when he was finally given the starting job he should have had since 2013, uh, the 13-14 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, saying, oh, you know, maybe if he was so bad, you know, maybe they get McDavid. Not realizing that's not how a draft lottery works. <laughs> so... 
but in my opinion, Schneider is easily the second most talented at goaltender in the history of the franchise. So since the exercise was to pick your the best players, not necessarily the best team, that's why I picked Schneider. Yeah, so I guess that my mindset was more towards that best team mentality that you mentioned because for the backup goaltender role specifically, I was pretty much only looking through those, but I, I completely understand where you're coming from. I think either one of those two, um, Schneider, just because he has more of the start sample, so a bit tougher minutes than Terreri perhaps, and uh, Terreri less of a sample size, but still it, it kind of... Uh, I think either of them could make a case to back up Rador. It's just that the, there's just such a giant chasm between him and anyone else that you're basically just pick your favorite backup goaltender and there you go. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to start over Rador anyway. Yeah. So who cares? All right. So the defense. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm going to say my six and then you say yours. And then okay. we'll kind of talk through because I assume that our top four will be exactly the same. I don't think so. Oh, okay. So you're going uh, a little bit controversial. Well, okay. So I told you there would be controversy. I'm going a controversial because my top four are Niedermeyer, Stevens, Rafalski, Danico. I, I feel like that one, that configuration of four was uh, pretty easy. And then I picked um, Bruce Driver and Colin White to round okay. out the list. All right. Well, here's here's my uh, breakdown. So your top pairing would be, of course, Stevens and Niedermeyer. Naturally. Um, if you want to go Stevens Rafalski, that worked too. Yeah, just in the interest of not saddling Danico, not saddling Rafalski with Danico. <laughs> I have Andy Green and Brian Rafalski. Okay, I, I was actually waffling back and forth between Green and White. Right, because I understand while Green is definitely a shell of his former self, a lot of people need to recognize, especially those of you at USA Hockey who are listening to this, talking about you, Brian Burke, <laughs> that uh, this man should have been on the Olympic team in 2014. Right. He dominant. He made Mark Fain rich. <laughs> he was he was an absolute, I think he's going to be one of those unsung devils and are up there with Rafalski and Madden as the best uh, undrafted devils in franchise history. Mm-hmm. Since Green was never drafted. He was a college free agent. Anyway, so Green is with Rafalski, and my third pairing is going to be Bruce Driver with Ken Danico. There's your 80s throwback uh, third pairing. Mm-hmm. If you want to, if you want to scratch a seventh defenseman, here's one that could challenge to be in that top four: Paul Martin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's another pick I was considering as well. So my six guys that I mentioned, Green was actually my first guy out, just because of his tenure with the team. How long he's been there? He did. He was with them for their last cup run. He's one of two players to do that. He He's, you know, he's captained them through some very, very tough times. And while the results haven't been there, it, it, he does provide some stability that a lot of lesser players or maybe even lesser people would not have been able to overcome. So I do appreciate everything that he brings in the back end. It's just that I had to put Colin White for uh, nostalgia reasons and Bruce Driver just stats alone. Right. Well, Driver was definitely a big part of those 80s teams and he was for lack of a better word a driver of offense from the defense back of those days and Danico played forever so much so that you know you do have to include him on the team in some respect Mm -hmm. but I think White especially since I remember watching him and all the way through his career is one of those players that definitely in this day and age his style of play would not fit well it wouldn't fit Danico either but Danico you know, again, with the longevity, you have to keep him in there. The other guy I was considering was Fedosov, and that mm-hmm. was somebody, and that was something somebody that in the athletic article people were naming, mostly because of his influence. I, I, I think it's fair to say we, ne- 
we as in North Americans never got to really see the best of Fedosov since he didn't come over to New Jersey until he was what 31 32 years old right so if you figure a peak for a defenseman even back in the early mid 90s was closer to being like 25 26 27 we never saw that so it's really hard to square that particular circle since he was only in New Jersey for such a short time too. He wasn't there for a super long time. Mm-hmm. So, but um, I didn't include White mostly because I don't think his skill set is all that impressive in retrospect. And Danico kind of does a lot of the same things anyway. So, mm-hmm. well, yeah. I do like so. your Paul Martin um, tease yeah. there. So, t- tell me a little bit more about that because Paul Martin is uh, Paul Martin to me almost felt like the nerfed second coming of Brian Rafalski in a way. Well, I think that's how he was expected, but he's very similar to Green in the sense of, okay, the offense may have not has been as productive, but he was pretty good at helping the offense go in the right direction and consistently so, while not doing so in a very flashy way. Martin is very much the definition of he's efficient. He's not necessarily going to be your star defenseman, but teams in the know, and he's one of those early when I say early, back in the days of Behind the Net, uh, timeonice.com by uh, Vic Ferrari, a.k.a. Tim Barnes. He was one of those earlier uh, Devil's Analytics darlings back when you know things like Corsi and on-ice rates were starting to become actually a thing that people were uh, looking into. And Martin was showing up very well in those stats compared to other defensemen in the league, never mind on the Devils alone. So he's one of those guys that, similar to Green, that – I've developed an appreciation for as I've gotten older. And I think it's a testament to Martin's skill set that he's been in the league as long as he has been. Uh, still um, grinding it out, I believe, with um, San Jose, I want to say. He so, might be with the Barracuda right now. Okay, so his, his career is starting to fall off because he's now with the Barracuda. Yeah, but he, he had but a bunch of good is, years with the Penguins. Oh, yeah, exactly. My And that's exactly my point. It's like... If you want to go back in time and go, what if, like, what if the Devils never signed Ilya Kovalchuk when he was an unrestricted free agent? Then Paul Martin had, takes a bunch of that money, and then you have a defense of Green and Martin on the same blue line, you know, for in, in while they were still in very, very productive, very good years. Maybe Mark Fain cracks through somehow, and then all of a sudden that defense starts to look a lot stronger and much more importantly, a lot more dynamic for a hockey game in the NHL that has become much more dynamic as the years have gone by. Like I said, the guys like Colin White, Ken Danico, Bryce Salvador, um, for lack of a more modern name, Steve Santini, the stay-at-home, big physical defensemen, those guys are just not useful. for example. Well, yeah, exactly. Vlasic is another example. Like, if you're going to be that type of player, you need to be able to move and you need to be able to contribute something on offense. You can't just hang out in the back and just throw a big hit and everyone goes, woo. I mean, big hits are great, but, you know, you got to give us more in this day and age. Mm-hmm. So that's why I picked Martin as my number seven guy, because I think if we're going to pick a number seven, I want somebody that could really swap out for almost for at least half of this blue line as needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a strong choice. I, I mean, the Devils have a history prior to this, basically prior to the 2010s, they had a history of very strong, reliable defenders. Oh, yeah, definitely. They were very much adhering to the style of one defenseman will be the dynamic two-way offensive style defenseman, and the, his partner is going to be the stay-at-home, more physical, more defensive-minded defenseman. You know, it, I mean, Stevens and Niedermeyer are the classic example of that. Stevens Rafalski was the two th- early 2000s version of that. White and Rafalski, or White and Niedermeyer, was sort of the second pairing of that, of that group. So, mm. you know, 
I mean, it's a, it's not a bad archetype, and it's had a good run. I just think that run has uh, kind of faded in recent years. Yeah, Green Subin is the hollowed husk of that mentality. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it, the, the, the plays don't really work that well when one guy is uh, one guy is losing the battle to Father Time. I'll just put it nicely like that. Mm-hmm. No, that, that definitely makes sense. And uh, like I said, it, it's tough to really go wrong with any of these names just because the Devils had such an emphasis on having good defenders and having good uh, defensive fundamentals. That's where they got most of their success from, you know, in the, in the cup year. So I, I think both, you know, both lists are pretty good. I'd be comfortable going forward with either of those two teams. And we're operating as if we're taking this player um, at their peak strength, I assume. Yes. Yeah, exactly. We're not talking about Andy Green today. We're talking about Andy Green of 2012, 2013, 2014. We're mm-hmm. not talking about Paul Martin today. We're talking about, Paul Martin in 2008, 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about Scott Stevens today. Yes, he, he's a big, strong beast of a man who will probably beat us up and take our lunch money easily, but you wouldn't necessarily want him in his mid to late 40s or early 50s. I'm trying to remember his actual age, <laughs> uh, you know, on the ice at this day and age. Yes, yes, he'll look he'll look intimidating out there. But then the game will happen. Yeah, I mean, if we're taking point in time as well, Bryce Salvador in the 2012 playoffs comes to mind. But we're do- we're doing their whole tenure with the Devils, so I think this is a good pair of lists going forward. So we come to the forwards, which is where I think the most controversy could be generated, just because there's such a disparity between eras here. And, you know, at their most successful, the Devils weren't necessarily... Uh, there's a misconception, I'd say, that the Devils only won by using the trap. 2000 and 2003 featured very high-scoring teams. 2003 wasn't a high-scoring team. Or Sorry, 2000-2001. Yeah, that's, um, that's when they were working, but that's how the trap is operating. It's an offensive system. I mean, mm-hmm. that's how the Montreal Canadiens blew everyone away in the, in the 1970s, and Jacques Lemaire was like, hey— I should use this when I coach teams. Well, no, the conception is that the games are very, you know, low event, low scoring, very boring kind of deal. The Devils actually had dynamic offensive players. It's just that a lot of, you know, a lot of their point scoring came in a very concentrated time or was inconsequential to the franchise. So there's a couple different things you have to weigh in when you're ranking the forwards. And I didn't really, you know, try to stylistically pair the lines in any way, shape or form. I just kind of best player available at that position gets that line and so on and so forth. So there's one exception and that's the obvious one. And that'll be my first line. I have Eliash Arnott Sikora as line one. Same. Okay. Cause that, I was going to go controversial there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the most, it's the most known line in devil's history. It's one of the best lines in hockey history. We've been hearing about them for the last month and really just watching it back those guys know where the others are on the ice at every single second. It's like they have eyes on the sides and back of their head, but only for each other. And not only that, but they were together at the right times in their career. Like Sakura and Eliash were still fairly young, but not like super young. Like they they had a couple years in the season in the NHL under their belt. I think Sakura was closer to his mid twenties. Eliash, I believe, was twenty one. Arnett was also a little older than Sakura, but none of these guys were like pushing thirty or were in their late A ages of their career. A lot of the, all three men were in their primes or about to enter their primes or just kind of like the tail end of their prime. So they got the best value of their careers all together at the same time. And it was magical. I really, really wish, Dan, that we had things like Corsi or Fenwick or expected goals 
back for those 2000 teams because I'd like to believe that that line was like, you know, like a 65% Corsi four team, you know, shots for or something like every time they step on the ice, the devils outshoot their competition, you know, 60%. Uh, yeah, you know, I something mean, they crazy were, they were like nuts. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like when they were on the ice, you knew which way the game was going. It was going against the opposition. Yeah. So I didn't feel the need to break them up specifically. My right. second line is uh, Kirk Muller, John McClain and Brian Gianta. Ah, okay, we differ completely here. So we may also have the same names, just in different parts of the lineup. That's also a possibility. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, So let me me just go through the rest and then see how many names overlap, if there's any differences. Because then I have Parisi, Gomez, and Palmieri, and then Hall, Holik, and Lemieux. With Sundstrom and Zajac, the first one's out. Really? Yes. I think there are some names you're forgetting. I mean, I look through them all. There's... A lot of good candidates, but I just wanted to... I think I rewarded a lot of scoring. I think that's what my my lean was here. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, the checking play of John Madden or Jay Pandolfo or anything like that. Um, I wanted to mostly reward players that had some sort of offensive touch just because the defenseman that we've picked out can facilitate pretty reasonably well. So right. that, those are my names. Who did you have... And who did you not have that I did? Okay. So here are the other three lines behind the A line that I have. Mm-hmm. My second line is Taylor Hall with Scott Gomez and John McClain. Okay. So I have all those. You have all those in different spots. Yep. My third line, I have Kirk Muller, Brian Gianta, and in the middle is John Madden. Okay. And then my fourth line is Zach Parise, Bobby Holik, and Claude Lemieux. So, so we every... only differ one name. True, but the big difference is the, the construction that I have is that uh, I have a top-level score on every line. I have somebody who's going to be responsible for playing in their own end on every line. I've got penalty killers. I've got a pest. I've got size. I've got speed. <laughs> I've got it all. And my extras are – this is, I think, the, the two big we're going to differ here. I have Sergey Breelin mm-hmm. as the perennial extra – Mr. Do-It-All can fill in wherever, make him play defense one game, win in fantasy, you know, that sort of thing. Sure. And my second guy, Jamie Langenbrunner. I, see, like, those are the kinds of names, though, that I was tossing around for this right. part of the exercise, and any of those could have been yep. on my list as well. Right. Other guys I considered as extras included uh, Aaron Broughton, mm-hmm. who is a... Uh, you know, with Muller and McLean, part of those early Devils teams that scored a whole bunch of points. Uh, Pat Verbeek, in the same sense, even though he really didn't play that much in New Jersey, but you know, he was very much in that mind mind frame and style of play as Claude Lemieux. You know, total pest. You know, there's a reason why they call him the little ball of hate. Right. He earned that nickname. I also consider Peter Stasny. Interesting. Um, but that was more. That was more like Fedosov, where he really didn't play a lot in New Jersey, and his best years were not in New Jersey. Granted, it was with Quebec. Um, but still, just for the level of talent, you know, it was a consideration. In the same sense, I also considered Ilya Kovalchuk. Yep, I was just going to uh, say, he he fits that bill perfectly of right. someone whose time here was pretty exciting because they got to the cup final, but didn't play here no. all that long. The ending was obviously sour, and maybe more on legacy alone, he deserves a spot. Right, I mean, Kovalchuk I consider in the same vein of like Alexander Mogilny, mm-hmm. Doug Gilmore, uh, Neil Broughton, and while, yes, Kovalchuk played longer than those other guys, like, their their big value, their peaks, so to speak, 
um, were short-lived. I mean, you could throw in Yager, too, then. Well, yeah, I could, <laughs> I could, but I didn't. And the other guy I was considering was Stefan Richet, who strikes me as one of these guys that I know he was a big deal from a talent perspective, but the man had legitimate issues off the ice. And in addition, on the ice, like there were some time, some games where he was just sort of like even Ken Danico would admit like, yeah, he didn't always bring it on the ice. Um, but, you know, when he was on, he was one of the most skilled players in the league. At least that's how they were talking him up. But I understand. But, you know, how that goes. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of names to toss around, but I settled on my extras of Breland and Langenbrenner just because those are two guys that are do it all, do it all pretty well. I think a lot of I know Langenbrenner's end with the Devils was also sour. Basically, Jacques, uh, John McClain got fired. Jacques LeBaire was hired and Langenbrenner became the first devil to wave his no trade clause. <laughs> you know, not a coincidence. Uh, even I was like, yeah, Langenbrenner is out of here. He, he's miserable under Lemaire. But nevertheless, the guy was very much the definition of a two-way um, star in like Madden and Pandolfo. Well, OK, maybe not Pandolfo, but like Madden was at his peak. And unlike Madden and Pandolfo, Langenbrenner had much more of an offensive game and was much more offensively productive. So, I mean, there's a though- moment in like the early to mid-2000s where you can make an argument that Jamie Langerminner was the face of the team. He was the most front-facing yeah. person as the captain. He exactly. was someone who, you know, was at every ceremony. He's someone who people associated with the devil. So I yeah. definitely get other, where you're coming from there. Yeah, other than Elias, he was the guy. And mm-hmm. then Parise and Zajac eventually came along, and they all, and then they became the guy along with Elias. Nevertheless, Berdor. well, and Berdor, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I was talking in terms of forwards, but nevertheless. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we only differ in one name, mm-hmm. and that's on John Madden. And I do want to give a special note as to why I included Madden and Gianta and Lemieux and even Hall because, you know, some of those names didn't appear in the athletic post. And I think they kind of need to be on a list like this just because of what they achieved in their careers. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Taylor Hall is obviously the only MVP winner in Devil's history. Yeah. By definition, you have to include him in on an all-time list. Oh, easily. There's no other MVPs on the team. Like, yeah, I mean, that one, if you don't include him, then you're still feeling a little spiteful with how things went down. Because if you look at it objectively, as the only MVP in team history, it's not easy to win the Hart Trophy. There's a lot of no, players on a lot of teams. Really yeah. And he managed to basically do it himself. And the, his biggest case for winning was because he alone was so dominant that year. Exactly. On top, in the same vein, Madden was a Selkie winner and was a runner-up to Yuri Letnin, who is one of the all-time great defensive forwards ever. So, you know, by definition, you got to give him in there. And since we're building a, if we're trying to build a team here, you want somebody to kill penalties. So John Madden was arguably one of the best in Devil's history to do just that. Brian Gianta has the, uh, he didn't win a trophy, but he is the all, you know, he set the single season record for goal scoring. And he was a dynamite winger. And the Devils don't really have a lot of great right wingers in their history. <laughs> so, you know, Brian Gianta, you know, like Claude Lemieux, you could make a case as like, OK, he was like I was the guy who wrote the post like he was more than just a clutch playoff scorer. You know, he was a guy who was actually a good hockey player. He wasn't just a guy who took a bunch of penalties and made everybody mad. You know, he was actually good at what he did. But Lemieux does have a Conn Smythe trophy in the same way Stevens has one and Berdor has one. So no, or actually, no, Berdor doesn't have one. He should have had one to do that. J.S. Jaguar has his. It went to, to J.S. Jaguar, and then everyone online at the time was mad that the Devils fans booed that the opposing team that lost the Stanley Cup, giving up a series-winning goal to Mike Rupp, of all players, <laughs> uh, you know, they booed him. And like, I yeah, for he... sure booed as someone who was in the arena that game. <laughs> there you go. See, Dan, you were right to do so. Okay. I am giving you validation in 2020 
for what you did in 2003 and what anonymous people that you have never met online back in those days, you didn't deserve that hate. <laughs> June 9th, 2003, when I was eight years old. Exactly. Takes me back. <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, to that extent, so because they have these individual awards, you have to give these guys their due, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was, you know, the hardest choice was including Parise, actually. So for me, Parise was kind of a no brainer, too, just because he had he even did the Kovalchuk thing, but he departed in maybe the best way possible. Like people weren't happy no, he that he, he left, he, but they understood he, he why so, he took his time. So Lou couldn't, you know sign an adequate replacement at the time yeah but no one no one can like no one no blames one him for that that that's my thing well, i think a lot, a lot of, of people blame kovalchuk for just defecting from the country but i but also parisi like everyone knew about his dad's issues everyone knew that eventually he you know had the desire to go home and be closer to him i don't love that it happened on independence day instead of you know the first day of free agency and anything like that and i don't like that the end result of all that was Kovalchuk just leaving, but I don't think anyone was really particularly angry with Parisi. And if they weren't, if they were then, they're not now. I don't think anyone's going to boo him when he gets onto the ice at the Prudential Center. I, I think you're not paying attention to wild games. Uh, I don't think <laughs> anyone I don't think is. Paying, I don't think you're paying attention to the comments on our site. Uh, okay. Because <laughs> you know, there are some fans who are still spite of that. No, my problem with including Parisi was just because, you know, Parisi as a fourth liner. Because your first liner has to be Eliash. Mm-hmm. And Hall, as we just mentioned, he's your MVP. So he's taking a big spot. And then your your decision comes down to Kirk Muller, Zach Parise, or do you go with somebody who would actually play well on a fourth line next to Holik and Lemieux? And then I just said, forget it. You know, he's the most – he's easily more talented than all these other guys I can name, like Breland. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's on the roster. That was really my main concern was like – you know, is it really the best place to put Parise? No, but for the purposes of this exercise, this homework assignment, you know, I just figured, okay, every line's just going to have a stud winger, and uh, you know, we'll just make other opponents just go, ooh, that's a lot of left wingers. Yeah, I mean, like maybe up, I'm up, guys. Maybe I'm like completely out of touch with how much people dislike Parise, but I you know most of the you know people who grew up watching the Devils around when I did too. I we we were like almost too young to realize the implications of that. So I don't have any personal ill will towards him. And I don't know that too many of my friends do. We were more just sad that he left than angry, but that could have been as a consequence of, you know, us still being in high school when it happened, not really understanding the full extent of what had transpired, but I don't really carry over any ill will towards Parisi. I, you know, appreciate everything he did for the devils and he was really, really exciting to watch. And it's been a bummer seeing these injuries pile up for him too, because I know that's something that he's been struggling with for a while, but yeah, he, he, like you said, even though he may not be the best fit for that fourth grind checking line, he needs to be on this lineup somewhere because in terms of left wing, you just name the four Eliash, Muller, Parisi and Hall that are pretty much consensus in any order. Like the drop off from Parisi to the next person is so far that it's not even worth it, but exactly. I picked Paul Mary instead of Madden just because Paul Mary has the added benefit of being a local boy too. And that's oh. something that does not exist anywhere else on this lineup. Uh, I, I think it is cool to have someone playing pretty well in his time in New Jersey on some very bad teams. He's still managed to produce pretty good numbers um, right. for the caliber of team he's been on. And he clearly is a face of the franchise as well as that local boy. And he, you know, holds the military fundraiser every year. I think, 
when it's all said and done, his legacy in Jersey will be very fondly remembered. I'm sure he'll be well regarded, but he's not one of the, he's not one of the best twelve forwards in any, in Devils history. I don't think he's even in the top twenty. He's one like, of the better scorers. Yes, he's one of the better scorers, but in terms of like what has he accomplished? What are the talent levels? Like the whole the whole point of the exercise. Well, we started you know, this podcast earlier this year by saying that Paul Mary was a better defensive forward than anyone realized. Well, this is true, but you know if the decision is Madden or you know, who has a Selkie and has was a what could have won more if it wasn't for the fact that Yuri Lettinen was even more dominant in his position in Dallas. <laughs> and like, you can't compare the two. It's like saying, you know, it's like, you know, it's like I'm trying to think of the best analogy I could come up with that's hockey related here. Well, I it's think like, the contrast... it's like saying that Corey Schneider is really good, but he's not Brodor. <laughs> well, yeah, but the contrast also comes in how we position these players, too, because okay. down the middle, I'd have Arnott McLean Gomez Holik. Well, McLean's a winger. I don't know why you have him as a center. I don't know why I had him as a center either. Is there yeah. any particular... Maybe you thought to put Muller there? Because Muller, you know, was a uh, center winger for New Jersey. Oh, sure. But even if you do that, like, where does Madden fit between those four players? Okay. Well, that's based on how you put everything together. Right. So that that's what I'm saying. Like, when we're doing this exercise, it just depends on a lot of it, the layout of what you choose to do. Right. Well, okay. McLean's listed as a, a center here. Maybe he was drafted as a center, but he primarily played wing. Maybe, I was going off of a uh, a list here where he was listed as a center, so sorry for the confusion there. But yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with the way our lists were arranged. Yeah, definitely. And that's always going to be a factor in how things get constructed. And this was also the same way, the same thing happened to the four people who did it for the athletic and it's always going to be an issue of, you know, how you put everything together elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it looks like I uh, just checked some more and McLean was a winger. So let's just shift him and uh, Muller. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> They're on the same line anyway, in my, in my breakdown here. So it's easy enough to shift the two of them. But I, I think that that next tier of players, like I included Sundstrom based on almost reputation alone. I wasn't around for any of his tenure with the New Jersey Devils, but watching through it and hearing the older teams, the, the members of the older teams, Danico, um, namely, talk about what he saw Sundstrom do, and you know, just watching video of the guy, he was probably the first, or probably one of the first dynamic scorers that the Devils as a franchise ever had. So, I, I think. He had a good legacy piece going, and I included Zajac because he's still marching up the list of all-time Devils points, and he has been the the pillar of the good times and bad for these New Jersey Devils. But yet, is he getting paid a little too much for what his role is? Yeah, for sure. But has he been Mr. Reliable for a very long time now? Also, yeah. So I think in terms of standing in the Devils organization, Zajac is up there. He has to be up there. Okay, I, I I mean I like Zajac a lot, but you know he like like we, we were just you were just talking about in terms of how you construct the roster. I, yeah. I he just you know for me the decision was do I rate Zajac higher than Madden or her whole week? And to me the answer is no. Maybe maybe in the future, mm -hmm. maybe when it's all said and done in a couple of years, I might feel that Zajac's a bit better than whole week. Uh, and in terms of my extras, you know I I again my my thinking for extras was I want guys who can play multiple positions Ajak is primarily a center you want him to play center if you're going to use Ajak at all so but 
that's also why I didn't figure on, you know, I'll just take two utility guys, guys who can move around as needed because Langenberger can play both wings. Breland can play anywhere. Mm-hmm. So that's why I didn't factor Zajac into my thinking. Yeah, it took Zajac almost double the games, but he's 13 points away from being third place all time on the double scoring list. So I think that's tough to ignore personally when you're doing like an all time ranking of players. Just, But I, the longevity is a big part of it because there's a giant gap between him and McLean with a similar number of games played. But he will, just by counting stats alone, be the third, will have the third most points in Devils history, most likely by the end of the year. Maybe not, but definitely next year. Certainly. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So that was just a little exercise, obviously a lot of room for debate. And this is the kind of stuff we have to talk about when the season is already lost. But looking forward to next season, uh, John, you had some updates for us regarding um, what season ticket holders can expect. Right. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the show, the blog, me, I am a season ticket holder of the New Jersey Devils. And I have been a season ticket holder full time since 2009. Uh, I had a half plan when they opened up the arena back in 2007, uh, or rather the 2008-2009 season. Okay, point is, I'm a full-time season ticket holder. So as a result, uh, season ticket holders like myself have been notified by the New Jersey Devils earlier this week that renewals have begun. And annoyingly, in my opinion, that uh, they're doing renewals like you would do for your Netflix account, your WWE account. Any anything that you pay regularly because they make it auto renew, <laughs> which yeah, it's a subscription, right? Because, you know, that's the same level. Fifteen bucks for to watch friends uh, at any time of the day. Oh, you to... can't anymore anyway. Oh, oh you it's can't. no longer on Netflix. Oh, I'm behind the times, Dan. <laughs> anyway. Watch Seinfeld instead. <laughs> oh, is the Seinfeld on Netflix? Oh, yes. OK, you can watch Seinfeld at any time. That's comparable to paying nearly three grand for 41 hockey games. Without knowing about it. Like, it's automatic, Without knowing too. whether or not it's going to be good or not, either. Yeah, yeah. W- without knowing the quality of the product, but also saying, wow, this is a lot of money to pay all at once for something I maybe was going to consider. Well, that's actually one of the things they're changing for the 2021 season. So, okay. l- so I've got the little email they send out to all the members. And the first thing that changes is that they're calling it the Black and Red Membership. Let's go. So... So you know how we uh, have We Are The Ones? I have a pretty strong suspicion we're going to hear a lot more about the black and the red. Mm-hmm. And, and, and or you know, that's I shouldn't be whispering. I should try to do a really bad, classy, Freddie Blassie impersonation. The black and the red. And a celebration uh, of light. It'll coincide nicely when Carolina's making cup runs, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I didn't even think of Carolina. Stupid Carolina. Also, Seattle <laughs> claims that those – well, there are claims that those are Seattle's uh, – teased color scheme as well yeah, they're an expansion team they're, what are they what is an expansion team gonna do get to the finals <laughs> you really think they're gonna repeat what vegas does no absolutely not but i'm <laughs> saying <laughs> no, I'm, I'm saying because it's happened once it could happen again anyways getting back <laughs> to the devils yes so because so they sent out the email 
you can link to go see your invoice and you could choose a one or a two year quote loyalty lock end quote to keep your pricing for what it was this season and you can customize incentives or perks if you will for being a season ticket holder now i will say this in favor of the devils their perk game has improved dramatically uh ever since jeff vanderbeek brought the team and this has also improved in recent years as well it's not to the level of the new york red bulls where you know you pay 400 bucks for a season ticket and they're like hey cool here's a 30 dollars scarf for free and you know we'll maybe we'll use some sneakers some adidas sneakers that would go like 90 bucks on retail um but they did increase their member benefits and their perks so those who decide to become full season ticket holders or members of the black and the red the showcase of the immortals sorry every time i do a classy freddie blassie impersonation i have to reference wrestlemania uh 15 anyway oh by all means by all means so member benefits include amongst others a six game black and red swap program so if they presumably if there are six games you can't go to you can swap them out for additional tickets elsewhere uh you will get a discount to the devil's den that can range from 10 to 20 percent off depending on the item they will guarantee a complimentary seat upgrade for a mutually agreed upon game during the 2021 season. So if you are like me, you sit in section one, which is a great seat in the lower ball, but your ticket reps like, hey, you can have a free game in the in the club seats. You know, you, you figure out what day that is. They'll mm-hmm. make it happen. And then you sit in the club for a game. And then this is the most interesting, Dan. <laughs> and I have a feeling they're not going to offer this after they do this. Okay. An exclusive black and red conference call Q&A session with the hockey operations staff. Oh, boy. You know what? I'm actually very intrigued to see how that goes. See, here's the thing, Dan. I'm, you know, I blog about the Devils. I'd like to think I have some intelligent questions and concerns about the Devils, just as you do, just as our listeners do, the people who matter. But get me in front of somebody of power. And there's a good chance I'm going to flub it and ask something stupid. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming they'll have some screeners for, you know, oh, yeah, that to make too. sure that not everyone can get those kinds of amazing questions in. Um, but I'm sure they'll have someone screening things and they'll just read it out town hall style kind of deal. Especially if, if next season goes as badly as this one. Uh, yes. That Q&A session might as well just be a yell session. Yes. <laughs> now... Now, now, those are benefits that everybody gets. And on top of that, you can pick two of the following additional perks. And some of them have limited availability. So if you miss out on them now, sorry, you may have to buy it later. So among the additional perks, you can pick two of the following. You can have an additional player event, meaning like an autograph session or a photo session with a player, which the Devils do throughout the season that season ticket holders have access to, but, you know, you guys on the street may not. I don't know why I said you guys on the street. <laughs> I was going to say. They appropriately, like you guys who are, you know. Not season ticket holders. <laughs> not season ticket holders. Yeah, not, not, just hanging, you know, not just hanging around on the streets, you know, going, hey. I got to seize the ticket. Let's right. go. Anyway, um, you can get an exclusive Devils membership quarter zip uh, top. You can get an exclusive Devils membership fleece hooded pullover top. Mm. You can get an exclusive Devils membership bomber jacket. Because I guess bomber jackets are going to come back in style some, but sometime. You can guarantee a promotional giveaway. So unlike the rings that they handed out uh, last Saturday... Most giveaways at the Devils games are usually limited to the first 9,000 or so fans. And, you know, if it's like a bobblehead, and some people are really into their bobbleheads, 
you know, those can get pretty contentious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they go to eBay and you pay a bunch of money for a bobblehead. I don't like bobblehead so much, so it's never been my appeal, but whatever. But if you ever want to guarantee that you get the giveaway, you can pick that as an incentive. Another incentive is eight bonus tickets throughout through the season. No word on whether or not you get to pick those eight games. I'm hoping they don't just go like, here's eight games. Enjoy two, an extra ticket for Tuesday uh, against Winnipeg in November. Right. But that's probably might be what it is. All right. Here's a, here's a fun one. A photograph with Mark Hamburdor in front of his statue on Lafayette Street. So that's in front of the famous uh, Brodor statue in front of the practice rink, the Barnabas Belt uh, Hockey House. I believe that's the current uh, promotional name for the practice rink. Mm-hmm. You can ha- you can have a picture in front of there with Martin Brodeur, and presumably this would be a f- professional photograph. It's not going to be like a selfie, though. I'm sure if you ask Mr. Brodeur nicely, he might oblige. Right. <laughs> you can get uh, Devil's premium seating experience for a random game during the 2021 season. I'm not sure how this is different than a seat upgrade, unless a seat upgrade just means you know if you're like an upper bowl person, that may be a lower bowl. So. This one may guarantee you like front row seats or club seats or something like that, or even a luxury box. And lastly, your other option is a photograph, again, presumably professional, with Ken Danico, Mr. Devil himself, in the Devil's Old Locker Room, which I have been in, actually, Dan. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, it's a locker room. There's not really a lot to, you know, write home about. It's got a clock and it's got stalls and it's red. All right. it, looks, it looks nice. I mean, it hasn't been used in a while, but hey, you know, if you want to hang out with three in the old uh, locker room setup, you know, you can get a photo with him. So those are the options that you get to have if you decide to renew. And uh, again, as the email makes it clear is that if you don't do if you don't choose to opt out, they'll just charge you for one year. <laughs> they'll opt you right back in. <laughs> Yep. So, and oh, and one other thing: if you select your membership incentives by Wednesday, February nineteenth, which is the last day to opt out, you can also get an exclusive T-shirt in the membership lounge during any Devils home game in February. So okay. you get a free T-shirt on top of paying the New Jersey Devils a lot of money to get forty-one tickets plus preseason. All right. So I mean, those are some good perks. There's a lot of. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because it seems like they feel the way we do in that. We're talking about past devils on episodes now because things are just kind of, you know, rolling along slowly. But they seem to be noticing how favorable the reaction was to the 2000 Cup team reunion. And now they're like, look at all these perks that are based on hanging out with these really cool older guys instead of get to meet this this young bunch of whippersnappers. Well, you can do that if you select an additional player event. And, you know, if you want to get that autograph of Jack Hughes or that autograph of Nico Heischer, or if you want to get up close and personal with Miles Woods' hair before he gets traded, those are your options. Oh, no, but I'm sure it's nice for the marketing team to have oh, Ken yeah. Danico and Martin Brodeur readily available. <laughs> yeah, and not only that, but people still like Ken Danico and Martin Brodeur. Like, neither of these guys have done anything particularly scandalous or obscene or offensive. Like, you know, well, yeah, exactly. Nobody's going to turn around and be like, oh, Danico, how is he still around? Oh, well, no, I'm saying Bordeaux did something scandalous, but, you know. Yeah, but that was a while ago. Way Nobody back. Cares. <laughs> Nobody cares about that. He's the guy on the Enterprise commercial wearing the Devil's jersey going, right. man, my hockey equipment stinks. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, he's he's definitely enjoying his um, second phase. Hopefully the luck turns around with him back on the team. But like I said, it must be nice to have the winningest goalie in NHL history available to do social events as kind of a promotion. It's nice to have him be available for that kind of outreach, because I think a lot of people who are, you know, 
just starting to become Devils fans who are of the age where they're just starting to grow into it now maybe wouldn't appreciate him the same way, but at the very least, they get the benefit of having him still be around. They're going to get told by their parents, older Devils fans, about how much of a legend he was, and that's something that I plan to share, but that's not something that they ever grew up watching. Exactly. It's how I feel about John McClain, for example. Yeah, it's one thing to go look at the history books, watch some highlights on YouTube, you know, read all about the jerseys, posts about the player. But there's a big difference between, like, reading about it and understanding it and experiencing it, being there when it happened. Because I had the blessing of watching Martin Brodeur go from guy who took Chris Terreri's job and won the Calder Trophy to all the way to the bitter end of his career in New Jersey. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I lived through that, right. literally. And and that's, and you know, I imagine I will tell my son all about it, but, you know, he may be the sharpest kid in the world. He may be super empathetic, but he wasn't there for it. Right, so, right. You know, it's a different feeling. You know, it's a different uh, experience. Hopefully I'll be able to communicate it to him appropriately. But currently he's 13 months right now, so communication's <laughs> kind of wonky at this point. So he's got some time. Maybe they'll have time to get good again by the time he realizes what's happening. Uh, (laughs) Did you go there? Because you're not wrong. Because you're not wrong, that's why. um, Okay, I think this is a good point to wrap up. We had some uh, trade scuttlebutt on Wayne Simmons, but that seems to be in exploratory stages at best just because it seems like they still haven't decided whether or not they even want to trade away Simmons. So I'll save that for when there's something a little bit more concrete, just because we've run a little long already. Um, John, is there anything quick you want to add before we do depart for the weekend? I I think the the rumor of Simmons going to Vancouver is really put out there by Vancouver just to kick the tires. But uh, I can't imagine a lot of teams are going to offer a whole lot about it. So, you know, just like anything else in life, you know, asking is just asking. It's not a guarantee of anything. That person you talked to today is not, you're not marrying that person. Same way, just because Vancouver may have dialed up Mr. Fitzgerald or whoever's in charge right now and asked about Simmons's availability. That doesn't mean it's necessarily going to happen. So pump the brakes. All right. So sounds good for now. We're hurtling towards that trade deadline and we'll see what news items roll out over the next couple of weeks. But for now, thanks for joining us this weekend on our look back through some of the all-time Devils players and also to learn about some of the perks coming up to watch some of the new players next season and the one beyond. So that's been our time here for Garden State of Hockey. Thanks again for joining us and let's go Devils.